Welcome to another episode of Investors Gallery. I appreciate everyone for tuning in. And now we're, we're getting international attention. So that's really cool. It hasn't blown up yet, but I'll take the few, uh, the few visitors that we're getting. So just to recap, Investors Gallery, we are in, um, well, the art gallery I built is on the other side of the wall. So one day I'll finish it up when I have time. But right now we're in the other part of the house that I built. Uh, my office and foyer is really cool, I think. And we get to meet exciting, amazing people like Ethan, who's done probably way cooler things that I have. But this platform was put together so I can introduce people like you, Ethan, to the public. Because there's a lot of people who want to do amazing things, want to do great things, but they don't have access to investors. They don't have access to fund managers. They don't know what a hard money lender is. They don't know the difference between an accredited investor and a non-accredited investor. So I put this together because most of our industry, most of our, our friends and, and cohorts, um, we kind of preach to each other and we do a lot of videos and we show them to each other, but we don't necessarily have the purpose built drive to send them to the world who may or may not be uh, a current investor. So welcome everybody. I want to introduce you to someone I met uh, not too long ago, a few months ago, and probably one of the most interesting people I have ever met and might ever meet in my life. Ethan, thank you for coming on and introduce yourself. Sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, I am definitely not that interesting, but thank, thank <laughs> you. So I'll give you, I'll give you the $5 at the end. Um, so I, uh, I'm Ethan Gao. I live in Houston, Texas. I've been here nine years. I got into real estate about eight years ago. So I started my career in 2006 as a corporate lawyer in Manhattan, uh, New York City. I worked on a lot of large mergers and acquisitions as a junior associate at a major law firm. Uh, my wife uh, ended up having to move to Boston to get her MBA. So I moved to a major law firm in Boston. Then we moved back to New York uh, after she graduated with her MBA in 2010. And then we moved to Hong Kong for a couple of years before we finally ended up in Houston. And so uh, about nine years ago, I just kept Googling, you know, how do I not have to work at this job? <laughs> so, you know, I had already saved quite a lot of money from my job as well as my wife's job. Um, but the, the job I had in Houston was at a major law firm downtown. It, it actually wasn't a terrible place to work by any means. So I'm not trying to make it, you know, sound like it was terrible. Um, it was just okay. But um, it was the, the type of job where you have to work really, really hard. Um, the promotion prospects are extremely unclear. And even if you got promoted, you are actually not sure if you if that was a curse or a blessing, because the reward is significantly more work. So for me, I was never particularly interested in advancing in that particular career track, even though it paid a lot of money. And that's how I was able to save my seed money to get into business. But me Googling that is what resulted in my getting into real estate. So specifically, I went down two rabbit holes when I made those Google searches. One was franchises. And I quickly determined that buying a franchise was similar to buying a terrible job. <laughs> so I was basically like, well, I already have a terrible job that I don't have to buy and they pay me a lot of money. So why would I go buy a terrible job? Right. And then the other rabbit hole I went down was real estate. And in particular, you know, I don't come from a real estate family whatsoever. I don't come from a business family at all. Um, what I liked about real estate was I kept on watching all of those gurus and infomercials who would really blatantly uh, sell the fact that they weren't very strong students in high school or college and they started with five dollars and now they own you know thousands of doors right so I, I really liked that pitch not because it resonated with me but because you know I came in saying well hey I already saved a ton of cash uh, my wife and I have four Ivy League degrees and we worked on Wall Street uh, I don't even need to own thousands of doors Let, let's just do like a dozen doors Right. right. If if this guy who who keeps saying that he was a terrible student can barely read, if this guy can do it, surely I think I can have some amount of success. So that's how I got into real estate. Um, I started by being a hard money lender. So I found guys that were fixing and flipping houses 
here in Houston and just lent them money at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, or whatever percent. Um, and uh, that allowed me to quit my corporate job about seven years ago. And then about two years ago, one of my friends that I met through real estate investing, he does syndications and multifamily. He just one day just straight up asked me, you know, Ethan, you hold millions of dollars of liquidity and net worth. Why have you, have you ever heard about being a key principal or a loan guarantor? And I just basically said, Jordan, I have no idea what you're talking about. Can you explain it to me? <laughs> like I'm really stupid and just, you know, go real slow. And he explained it. And I basically came away from that meeting think, you know, and that was the moment two years ago, I said, I, I got to start doing multifamily and commercial. Wow. So, for, so for people who don't know what that is, so let's say Presley and I are going to go buy an apartment building for 25 million bucks. Let's say we're going to borrow 15 million from the lender. Uh, we would have to raise 10 million from our friends, family, you know, work associates, you know, friends, friends, et cetera. But the lender is going to require that the lead sponsorship team of myself and Presley, we would have to have net worth that exceeds the loan amount of 15 million. And so let's say Presley and I only have 14.99 million. We'd have to go find, you know, the extra couple of cents to bring us over that hump. And then even if we do get over that hump, uh, the lender is usually going to require seeing 10% of that liquid. So stocks, cash, uh, they really just prefer cash. So uh, Presley and I would have to show 1.5 million liquid somewhere. So if we can't meet either of those conditions, we don't get approved for the loan. So what that means is we have to bring in a third or fourth person to help us do that. So oftentimes I am brought in as that other guy. That is a role that I love. So I am best supporting actor. Uh, I'm not the lead. I, I am just that other guy that gets brought in for liquidity and net worth. Um, I have some I have some origin questions, but I don't want to sure. get the current question. So I'll start with the current questions and, and then hopefully go back. Yep. So part of this is, and I don't know how many of my interview East realize this, but part of this is, is, is me trying to advertise for the person that I'm, I'm interviewing. So you're, you're basically marketing yourself, obviously. And I think that's what probably 50% of the podcasts are about, some kind of um, marketing or um, education, uh, not, not education. What is it? Uh, uh, edutainment. Infotainment. Yeah. In, in, infotainment. What is what are the, the arenas of, uh, what's your cap? So what do you want someone to call you for um, to be a KP on their deal as far as level of, of assets under management or net worth? Uh, I would say uh, just call me in general. Um, okay. I'm, I'm usually not going to be at a, uh, a limit where it's, uh, it's going to be relatively hard to exhaust the limitations. Okay. Okay. Um, so I will call you and then I will also call you for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you got to remember though, uh, I have five children. If you call me for Thanksgiving, uh, be, uh, you know, that, that great bookshelf you've got there in that great room, uh, it's going to get ruined. That's all right. <laughs> my, my kids will find the room and they'll pull all the books out. <laughs> five kids. What, what ages? So my youngest is two and my oldest is about 10 and a half. So I had them approximately two years apart, uh, kind of in a row. Did it the hard way, uh, one at a time, no twins, no triplets. Man, so my partner uh, has five as well. Um, I have is, he the, three. is he the lawyer? Is he the lawyer? Yeah, Melvin. Okay. Yeah, Melvin. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, me, you, and him, that's a whole football team right there. <laughs> that's that's a whole football team. But I'll, I'll tell you, some of my kids are real lazy. Uh, they're going to be on the bench. Uh, I got a 14 year old. I can't get out the bedroom to, so, yeah. <laughs> to do anything. Yeah. You, you know what man. that's about. I'm like, man, you're too smart for your own good. I need to do create something hard just to put some, some motivation and work ethic in you. <laughs> yep. Um, so you're a key, you're, you're, you like to be a KP. Do you lend as well? Do you do any um, lending? I do. So I, so the, you know, so the key principle, that's probably the primary thing I do in multifamily commercial. Um, and I do that for commercial that's not multifamily. So I've got two deals in Houston. They're industrial deals. And we, um, 
you know, my, my, uh, my partner, he found uh, land that he developed into uh, truck parking depots and we triple net lease them out to trucking companies. Mm-hmm. So I signed, I signed on the loan for those two deals and hopefully we'll, we'll do more like that. Um, I've also been involved in a hotel, a retail center, office building, self-storage. I'm not an expert on any of this stuff, but I've done a lot, you know, I've done a bit of, of quite a few different industry groups. Um, and then with respect to lending, one thing that I focus on, and this was just kind of a corollary or a kind of an offshoot of me networking for key principal and loan guarantor opportunities. Um, a couple of guys just remember that I hold a lot of uh, liquidity. So one time they said, hey, we need to close this deal. We can't get an extension from the lender. I'm sorry, we can't get an extension from the seller. We're short, you know, a lot of money. Can you come in and help us? And I said, sure, I'll lend you the rest of the equity that you were supposed to raise, but I'm not a permanent investor in your deal. I'm going to give you 60 to 90 days after closing Mm -hmm. to -hmm. continue raising the money to pay me off. In exchange for that, I'm going to charge you interest on my loan. Um, and you, I'm going to get a GP slot on the deal. That's so I, genius. So I have several deals where I didn't even, you know, in some ways it's actually better than being a key principal or a loan guarantor because on those deals, I'm stuck for the life of the deal. And if somebody yeah. really does something really stupid and, you know, you know, there, there is some risk that the lender will call me and say, hey, Ethan, uh, give me $5 million. Um, whereas doing these, what I call these gap loans, you know, it's the gap in the equity shortfall. Yeah. Yeah. Doing these gap loans, if the deal goes real bad, um, assuming that they pay me off within the 60 to 90 days of closing, which is what they were supposed to, I could just walk away and just pretend like I never heard about the deal. Right, right. No, no one no one can call me and say, hey, Ethan, you got to pay me. Um, you know, I just basically take a tax loss and walk away and just pretend like I wasn't involved in it. So I don't have to, I won't have the taint of embarrassment. That is the, well, for I, okay. So I know your background and I, I'm, I just want to, put it out there because it's, it's super cool. Tell us your, your schooling background so the viewers can start understanding where this genius comes from. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a genius. I, I like shortcuts. Maybe I'll, I'll say it <laughs> slightly different. So I went to Cornell when I was 16. So I graduated high school in three years and I also skipped a grade. Um, I, I basically skipped half of sixth grade and half of seventh grade when I moved from uh, Waco, Texas to Toledo, Ohio. So in Waco, Texas, sixth grade is middle school. In Toledo, Ohio, uh, sixth grade is elementary school. So my parents made a decision that they were like, you're not going back to elementary school, just just be a seventh grader. And I said, why not? And this was back in 1996. Uh, The schools were really casual. I remember the principal just said, hey, you seem like you're smart. Like you want to skip a grade? (laughs) And I said, yeah, my parents told me to. So he's like, okay, cool, done. I don't think you could just casually just randomly skip grades these days, uh, at least in Katy ISD, it's pretty stringent. And then um, high school, I just graduated in three years. Um, I, I didn't find living in Toledo, Ohio to be very exciting, uh, nor did I find living with my parents to be particularly exciting. So I went to Cornell University and uh, met my wife the first day of class. We shared wow. one class together, met her. Uh, she comes from a similar background as me, which is great. She had just turned 18 and uh, we've been together for 22 years. We have five kids. So I like to joke with people when I tell them I have five kids, I like to say, yes, they're all mine. And yes, it's with <laughs> the same woman. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah, we're going to be good friends. We have a lot of similarities. I didn't um, I had dropped out of college when I met my wife to start a mortgage company, uh, but I met her when she was 19. Nice. So yeah, pretty pretty much the same same track. That's amazing. Yeah. It, it is amazing because when you meet that young, there's really no pretensions. There's really no yeah. like, you know, hey, she's she's with me for my money. Like we didn't have no money. Right. We had right. zero cash. <laughs> like she'd be the dumbest person in the world. So anyway, um, I also I graduate so I graduated college in three years as well didn't really feel like paying the tuition and I knew I wanted to get a graduate degree. So I went to Columbia Law School when I was 19. And wow. uh, I primarily, I went there because my wife wanted to work in investment banking. So she and I both come from small towns. We, we didn't even know what investment banking was, but when she was at Cornell, a couple of the upperclassmen in front of her 
did investment banking internships at JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and they came back to campus and said, hey, those are the jobs they were going to do after graduation. And, and, you know, she was like, these seem like smart kids. And they told me that uh, investment bankers make a ton of money. So therefore, I will also be an investment banker. So <laughs> that, that's so that, that 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 was the only logic that that was there, which is other people are doing it and they make a lot of money. So why yeah. not? Yeah. So that was her goal. So she said, "You need to go to law school in New York City." Uh, so I started at Columbia in 2003. Uh, she graduated from Cornell uh, in 2000, end of 2003. So she graduated a semester early, and she joined J.P. Morgan as an investment banking analyst. Um, and then she actually ended up getting a business degree, uh, MBA from Harvard um, wow. in, from 2008 to 2010. So that's why we moved to Boston for two years. Wow, that's amazing. Um, man, I'm gonna have to bribe you to, to have uh, lunch or something with my son because he he has that, he's very smart and we, we're trying to keep him on that track. What was it, like, I'm being stingy now, it's like nothing yeah. related to making money. <laughs> what What was it like and what was the, um, the course and the action to finish college early, just, just take up a whole bunch of classes? Yeah, so um, so the first year I really goofed off, so I'm not proud. Uh, the first year I didn't get very good grades and I didn't really know what I was studying. I just knew I probably wanted to get a graduate degree because I figured nobody would hire like a 19 year old out of college. <laughs> and I wasn't particularly mature for my age. I, I was just average until I met my wife and then meeting my wife made me significantly more mature, obviously. It does that. <laughs> yeah, it kind of, it kind of does that when she's like, Hey, uh, your GPA sucks. Like, what do you, like, how, how'd you expect to live? Um, right. They don't, they don't just hand you free money after you graduate. Like that's right. not, that's not how this program works. Um, so, uh, I, so the second year I just took six classes a semester. Mm, okay. So that wasn't that hard. So, so I did that. And then, um, I, so my last semester, I actually only took like three classes. So I was a, I was actually technically a part-time student. And the only reason I graduated in three years instead of two and a half was because uh, they had a residency requirement uh, mm. back back then, at least, as they said, uh, you can't graduate from here unless you live on campus for three years, and you have to be here for at least uh, six semesters, or whatever. So my last semester, I just basically goofed off and took like three classes. And I chose, I chose from a catalog. I looked for the easiest possible classes today. Right, right. Well, I mean, because why not? You, you're done. So why take more hard classes? Exactly. And so for me, you know, I like to be really efficient and I like to, you know, take the right shortcuts. I mean, there's obviously shortcuts that you should not take or there's shortcuts that you shouldn't even consider taking. But there's certain shortcuts that I do really enjoy. Um, one of which I didn't take, which was uh, I obviously did not. Uh, I have five children, so I took the long ass way. Right. I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know. I don't even know what's the opposite of a shortcut. Like I, I decided to choose. Oh, I chose a hard mode. So on a video game, I've just decided right. to choose hardest <laughs> mode with respect to children. Right. Well, it's uh, they're, they're a blessing when they're not being children. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. My two year old is is giving us a very exciting time right now. Yeah. So the, the school, the schooling that you had in the education, do you find it that it has played a part into um, the, the, the moves that you make? Because obviously the schooling got you into the job, which paid the money, which gave you the nest egg. But if you could skip working there, working at the, the nice, the nice hard jobs and just go straight from college to what you're doing now. Do you see that? Or did you, do you find that that education helped? No, it absolutely did not. Um, <laughs> and that's, you know, that's, that's not to denigrate the school or the education at all, but in particular doing, especially local real estate, it, it's, a, it's, it's a very inefficient market or it's only a semi-efficient market. So there's a lot of deals that get done just because somebody knows somebody else. Yeah. Not because that person is the most qualified or they're paying the most money. It's just because I happen to meet you at the right time, at the right place. And that's how most of life works. I mean, that's obviously how I met my wife, right? So if I didn't, yeah. if I didn't graduate from college when I was 16, I wouldn't have met her. And if right. I didn't choose to go to Cornell and she didn't go to Cornell, we wouldn't have met. And I, you know, I wouldn't have the curse of having five children. Um, you know, blessing. I, curse, yeah, blessing. The, <laughs> curse slash blessing, right? <laughs> 
Um, so the schooling, it, it doesn't really translate. And then the jobs really doesn't translate at all. So I recall I had a couple of close, you know, relatively close work friends. So not real friends, more like a work friend. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it, you know, um, you're, you're really tight when you're together at work. But if one <laughs> of you, one of you leaves, like you never really call each other, you just become Facebook friends and you post yeah. like occasionally, but you don't, you never really bother. That's most um, of our lives. Hold on, either you give yeah. the secrets away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, that's how most relationships end up anyways. But um, I remember I discussed with them. I was like, hey, I'm making like 18% lending my money to someone fixing and flipping a house and I'm in it for 70%. So if this guy gets hit by a bus and mm -hmm. I have to take this property back, I own it at a basis of 70% to market. Like right. I, I'm not, it's hard. It's relatively hard for me to lose money doing that. Right. And so I, I just remember a lot of my colleagues were like, oh, that sounds like this fraud or that's yeah, too man. high of a return. That's too low of a risk. Something's fishy, blah, blah, blah. And I just said, you know what, screw it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. I was very comfortable with legal documentation. I was comfortable with title companies. Uh, I just listened to every possible uh, podcast and webinar on, and read all these bigger pockets articles. So I, I was very, I felt very, very prepared to do that business. Okay, so basically a little bit of hard knocks, but mostly just relationships and common sense and being at Absolutely. the right Absolutely, yeah, I, I think the academic schooling, I think it's very important. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I think most people should go and get it, but it doesn't really translate um, particularly uh, into real estate. It translates a little bit better into multifamily and commercial because there's a lot more raising money involved. So if you put your picture up and you say, hey, you went to this school or that school and you worked at this firm or that firm, you, you actually are able to generate a little bit of a base of investors. You know, mm -hmm. there might be lawyers that work at these big firms that say, oh, well, Ethan's, Ethan's got my background and he seems like he's not an idiot. And, you know, he, <laughs> he, 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 has a, he hasn't worked here for eight years. So clearly he didn't like lose all his money. He's living on yeah. something. So if he couldn't possibly have lost all of his money. So therefore, maybe we should invest with him. How much did your previous uh, W-2 jobs, um, well, let me ask, ask the, the, the more important question. Do you raise and have you raised money for your real estate uh, transactions? So for my real estate transactions, I have typically not raised any money. So, so I have brought in a couple of partners in who I've known in real estate on some bigger deals. And then we have done very small capital raises from like friends and uh, really just from personal friends. So um, my main partner, he's a real estate broker. He used to work as an engineer in oil and gas, and then he became a realtor and he started flipping houses and uh, buying houses. So he has a good network of, you know, engineers and other professionals. And then I have a network of lawyers and, you know, uh, a doctor that I actually, he was my client. Uh, I met him off of Bigger Pockets. He needed some legal work. He's become an investor of mine and a good friend. One of my work, one of my work friends who became a real friend, um, he still works at the law firm where I used to work. He's invested with me as well. And then a couple of other lawyers I've met have invested with me. But in general, I, I haven't really raise money for my own deals. Uh, I do manage a private equity firm called Goodwill Investments. I have a partner in that, and he is primarily our investor relations person. He also does deals um, as well, but he has taken the, the reins on raising money. Okay. Um, yeah, we're, we're, I got to see if my, my attorney partner is on, uh, cause I always get yelled at, got yelled at today. Um, but I'm gonna act like he's not on here. So we're, we're about to launch our fund is, um, hundred million, any advice, um, broker dealer, investment advisor, any advice for, for us on our very interesting road of raising this capital? Uh, not really. I would just say, um, you know, it's it's a long, hard road. Are you going to be raising from kind of high net worth and high income types, or are you going to go institutional? Um, we want to go mostly institutional, but it, it'll probably be a, a hybrid. Okay. Institutional. 
So uh, 100% of our investors in our fund are retail investors. So they're business owners, doctors, lawyers, engineers, et cetera. Uh, we have not really bothered with institutional. I, I've had a couple of contacts before and they wanted to see more track record than what yeah. we could provide. They kind of yeah. didn't necessarily care so much about um, how much net worth I had or where my schooling was or how much you know I was willing to co-invest. I think that'll change. You know, we're we're now almost two years into it, um, but we've we've had good experiences raising from high income, high net worth. Uh, I don't really feel the need to go institutional uh, at all, especially if they start asking for more favorable terms or most favored nation status or you know more reporting or you know uh, uh, you know some sort of right on what we invest in or some sort of veto right. So um, I, I would say. I, I think just, just raising from retail is not a bad strategy at all. Uh, I use a lawyer in Dallas. Uh, I found him through Facebook. Um, I interviewed a bunch of fund formation lawyers. He's been great to work with. Uh, all of my personal uh, fund stuff goes through him. And then anytime anybody ever asks me for a recommendation for a funds lawyer, I just refer everybody to him and he's done a great job for everyone. Okay. Go ahead and shout them out. We we here to get people business. If 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 you if you, if you feel comfortable, <laughs> sure. His name is Adnan Merchant. He's uh works in Dallas. Okay. But email me first, and then I'll I'll do an intro. That'll be, <laughs> that'll, that, that'll be easier. Awesome. Um, you know what? I, I'll get my partner on first, who's our our securities attorney. Yeah. And then we'll get him on because I'll there you know. You go. <laughs> there you go you oh well no mean? well no actually well yeah if, if your partner i forgot that I, I didn't know your partner specializes in securities but yeah if, if yeah. he does that then hey everybody call presley's partner instead for, yeah. forget <laughs> the, the, delete the delete that name <laughs> yeah uh melvin melvin is um uh, he's he's very well known he's done he does i wouldn't say most of the uh, multifamily syndications and uh, he does MA work. So he's he's very well known. So he's yes, yeah, he's you not, he's not part of the business. No, no, I need I need him to stop working so much so he can focus on get, your stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, dude, get our PPM done. But right. yeah, you gotta make money, you gotta pay the bills first, and then then we'll we'll do our own. So when you were in school and transitioning, I'm sorry, not in school, when you were working at your previous job. Did your mindset and what you thought you were going into as far as the real estate and the transactional side, did what you thought you were going to do and the headaches and roll bumps that you thought you might have, did you have that or did it turn out to be something completely different? No, I definitely had a ton of roadblocks and, and um, stuff. Uh, I will say I was pretty fortunate. So in my hard money lending business, Man, I've probably done over 300 deals. I don't, I don't even bother counting. Uh, I, I only had to send foreclosure paperwork to a couple of them. And I never had to actually take anything back out of foreclosure. So I, I was just basically making a high return for doing very, very little. So that, that, that to me is what I was born to do. To make a, to make a medium amount of money with low risk and very low effort. That is like, if you grid out where, where somebody's personality is a good fit, that's me. Medium return, low risk, low work. Don't, don't show me high return, high risk, not interested. Don't show me low return, high risk, definitely not interested. Don't show me high return, medium risk, but a lot of work, not interested. Literally, I want medium return, low risk, low effort. Um, so kind of figuring that out, I tried a few other things. Some of them didn't work out well. Some of them worked out okay. But what, what I'm truly, really focused on is looking to find that specific thing on my grid of things that I like. So um, it took me a while to figure that out. So I, I really think um, specializing early or really knowing what you really like and what is a good, mit, what good fit for your personality is really important. Because I ended up trying a bunch of stuff that I really just seemed like a huge waste of time. So the joke that I make is basically... I'm only attracted to 40 year old Chinese women with five kids. You don't, you don't need to show me anything else. I, I'm not interested. Just show, me what, just, just, just show me, just show me what I told you I'm interested in. Right. Right. That makes sense. So what's the process? So 
Um, I get, I get a 75 unit and, um, I need some money. What, what is the process with you? What do you look for in the investor, the team, the, the project itself? Yeah. So the team is more important than the project is the second most important thing. So I want a good team. Even if the deal is mediocre, give me a good team and a mediocre deal. I'm interested. Show me a good deal with a bad team. I'm not interested. Right. So first, uh, the team has to be good. So I prefer them to have experience, although I have done deals with guys where it's their first deal and I think they're going to go really well. They have other factors going for them. So we did a hundred and one units in the Galleria here in Houston. It was the lead sponsor's first deal, but he's been working at a real estate shop for the past 15 years as an asset manager. Um, okay. So I felt he was very experienced. And then he brought in an experienced operating partner from California that, that is a property manager on top of being an investor. And then they brought me in for the liquidity and net worth to do that deal. So I really like that team. And, and you know, I hope to do a lot more with them. Um, so like I said, team most important, deal second most important. And then for the gap loans that I make, I'm really looking for a pretty specific fact pattern. So I'm looking for a situation where the lead sponsors have raised about 80% of the equity. So in the example, I keep kind of going back to that I mentioned at the beginning of if we were buying a $25 million apartment building and we needed to raise $10 million of equity and we're borrowing $15 million, that was an actual deal. That was the first deal that I did as a gap loan. So um, they were buying a $25 million apartment building, borrowing $15 million, needed $10 million of equity raised to close. They raised eight. They were short $2 million. So I came in. I lent them $2 million. Um, they closed their deal. And then they have to pay me back within you know X days of closing. Okay. And for that, I charged them interest on my loan. And um, uh, I got a GP slot. Okay. Um, what type of deals won't you do within your, your constructs? Um, well, let's start with not necessarily asset classes, but types. Is there, do you rather not deal with retail or rather not deal with um, storage or industrial? No, I, I like them all. So okay. to me, the team is the most important. So if you okay. show me a good team, they could be doing, uh, you know, yurts in Mongolia and I'd be interested. <laughs> I'd, I'd start learning about yurts and why it's a good asset class. What is that? Uh, it's like the little huts. Okay. Like the like teepees, like teepees. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I look. I, I have. Uh, I come from humble beginnings. Yeah. And I do not mind letting somebody know when I am ignorant of their. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was just a joke. I'm not actually interested in yurts in Mongolia, but 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 again, the 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 point is the team is really important, and especially a team that has expertise in that asset class. So if somebody just does self-storage and they're extremely experienced uh, i'd be very interested in that um because okay. if you you know kind of like the joke i made before um you know people can look at me and say well hey that guy he hasn't worked at that big firm for the past, past seven eight years and he seems like he still lives in a house and he's not <laughs> on the street so therefore he can't possibly have lost all of his money maybe he only lost part of it but he, yeah. he must be somewhat you know, he, he can't be super unsuccessful. So yeah. I think if somebody has deep expertise and has been around for a long time, that's just evidence that they can't possibly be super unsuccessful at they, what they do. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Staying um, power is important. How do you you and your wife operate? Because you're, you're self-employed. She, does she still have a W-2? No, she hasn't had... She So when we had our first kid, she essentially... Uh, decided she didn't want to work outside the home anymore. Uh, so she oh, I said not... that too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um so she 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 hasn't worked steadily outside the home for the past, you know, almost 11 years. Okay. 10, 10 to 11 years. Okay. Um, and so this is the other joke I made, which is I tell people, don't show me high risk, you know, high reward. You know, I tell them making a couple extra bucks isn't really going to change my life. I mean, obviously I'll take it, but it doesn't really change my life. What really changes my life is if I really screw this up and lose a bunch of our money, what that means is my wife is going to have to then 
go get a real job. And then I'm going to have to stay at home and take care of these five kids. <laughs> Motivation. That, that, that's, not a, that's not a situation I'm interested in. <laughs> okay, that's amazing. So she doesn't, you guys don't kind of, uh, she doesn't really work with you. She just more stay at home, mom, take care of the babies. Correct. I'll run certain things by her. She's usually overly negative. So she's in general more conservative than me and she doesn't like stuff. So I'll show her something and she's like, well, that sounds terrible. Um, and, and honestly, you know, she's been right about several of these things, but she's also been, you know, if, if I just took her advice, then we, I would just still be working at that old job and Googling, yeah. how do I have to not work here? <laughs> That's because she's conservative. So yeah, she's very conservative, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And I mean, you know, I, I'm not trying to do my own horror. I, I, all I want to say is I have not been unsuccessful. Right. I'm not saying I've been successful. I'm just saying I have not been not, a, not successful. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm like just medium. Right, right. <laughs> like I said, medium return. That's right. my thing. I want to make a medium return. I got to find some. I got to do some deals with you, sir. Yeah. Um. Yeah, man. I'm. I don't know if you saw on Facebook our uh, our nice big deal kind of. It didn't. It didn't necessarily fall apart. It's just it was too many factors that was not going to make the deal give the returns that we wanted it to do so we just our, our team is very conservative especially when you have a, a lawyer on the team we're extremely right. conservative so yeah we, we we are now pivoting back to um stabilize value add and and or development so we, we always want to do development especially now because you build something and by the time it's up the recession will be over so <laughs> right yeah baked in the timing yeah so yeah, so that 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 ship has sailed. That's okay. We'll get on another boat. Um, what has been the most challenging um, transaction that you've taken part in? The challenging transactions I've taken part in all have to do primarily with earnest money. So I've done earnest money deposits. So this is where like a team, you know, they might have the net worth, they might even have the liquidity, but if they're pursuing a deal. Sometimes the sellers and the brokers demand a large amount of earnest money, hard or not hard, whatever. And sometimes the teams don't have that liquidity, or even if they do, they don't want to put it up because they need to show it to the lender to get approved for loans. So I've done a few of those deals. Um, I got to tell you, my, my, my hit rate is not that good. Um, <laughs> like it's good if it's baseball. I'm like batting five out of nine. So that's like really good for baseball, but yeah. in real life with real money involved, that's terrible. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I, I, so there's only limited circumstances under which I would consider the earnest money deals. Um, earnest money is really, you just, you're first in, you know, you're, you're, you're the first dollar in, right. Yeah. And then there's just so many things that could happen in the next three to four months that it takes to close a deal where, something goes wrong and you don't close the deal and then you lost the earnest money or now you got to sue the seller to get the earnest money released. So that's right. not interesting to me. Um, right. You know, only certain circumstances and only certain sponsorship teams I would be interested in that with. Um, I, I really like my gap lending business way better. The gap lending is I'm the last dollar in. So these guys already raised 8 million bucks. They've raised 80%. So right. if they can raise 80%, I'm pretty confident they can raise the next 20%. They just can't do it in time. So right. I'm just coming in as a very expensive, you know, new best friend that they just met. Um, and uh, they're going to raise the money and absent some sort of really weird fraud, which, you know, obviously do exist. Um, my dollars coming in guarantees the deal closes because literally right. everything is done. Appraisal's done, loans committed. They already have a KP loan guarantor. They've already raised uh, 80% of the money, uh, titles, clear. They're ready. They're just missing the last 20%. And that's where right. I come in, lend them the last 20%, guarantees the deal closes. Everybody's happy. Earnest money, you don't know what's going to happen. Deals cannot close. Now, now you're in an awkward situation. For the earnest money deals, what is the typical... Um time that they the the broker or whoever the seller is a lot for it to go hard do they usually give the ones that you've done have they gotten any kind of grace or has it been day one money goes hard so the first one i did was last year uh all money hard up front wow that, that was when the market was 
you know, very seller friendly, right? Everybody, everybody and their mom was a multifamily syndicator. <laughs> and that, and that one, to be honest, we lost the money. I got reimbursed by the lead sponsor later. Okay. But that, that was terrible. I didn't get anything out of it. He certainly didn't get anything out of it. He had to reimburse me the money. The next one I did um, was basically the same, hard day one. Um, and then I've done a couple where it, there's a little bit of a grace where it goes hard later. Um, long story short, it, it's just, um, like I said, there's just enough of a probability of not closing that makes it less interesting. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you have for people? Because your game is, is you're the banker's game. If you got all your stuff together, then they don't need you. But those are the ones that you probably like to land on. And if they really need you, then the deal is might not be as good. So just like the bank, if you, the bank gives money to people who don't need it, what would you say to those that's, that's kind of in the middle or, or beginning uh, getting into this, um, into this industry? Yeah, you make a really good point. Although I, I, would, I would nitpick it slightly which is uh, the market's inefficient. So the, the one deal that I've been talking about a lot, um, that deal was a very experienced sponsor with a very high net worth and mm. a very good key principal and, and a very good um, partner. She, she, she had a partner that was a, a doctor that makes one of those fancy doctors that makes a lot of money. So <laughs> one, one of, one of the, and, and he personally guaranteed um, my loan. Right. So I, I always joke that my my parents always wanted me to be a doctor. But, you know, if they don't pay off this loan and he's going to be sending me his paychecks, that that's better than being a doctor because I, I didn't even have to go to medical school. Right. Guy just has to give me half his paycheck for right. a, a while to pay me back. Um, so there does exist situations where I can actually get a pretty good team that they need my money right now, but they don't mm -hmm. generally need it. Mm -hmm. So that's actually the fact pattern that I'm most attracted to. So I'm actually attracted to bigger numbers because typically for the bigger sponsors and the better sponsors to have a gap need, it's not going to be like 300K or 400K. They can usually just round that up themselves or through their friends and family. Yeah, um, It's going to be the several million dollars. And then I think if we start going to two, three, four, five, six, seven, that's when it gets really interesting because I, I just don't think there's going to be a lot of people in that space that can put out that kind of cash on a, a quick turnaround to be able to satisfy their needs, right? They, they can go find a couple of guys with a couple million, you know, a million bucks here or there and try to cobble them together. But coming to one guy, me, to get their deal done, I think that's a huge value add for them. They don't have to worry over the weekend, you know, is, is John going to wire in his 400K and is Susie going to wire in her 200K and is it all going to come, yeah. whatever. Like they come to one source with one guy and I'm my own lawyer, so I can go real fast. Like I'll drop, <laughs> I'll drop, if this, if this deal is really good, like I'll drop everything else I'm doing to work on this deal, right? Yeah. They, they can't necessarily force their lawyers to do that. Um, there, there's a couple of really well-known attorneys that represent some of the sponsorship teams that I've done business with. And oh my God, they are horrible. They yeah. can't reply. They can't even reply to an email to save their lives. Like I don't even, I don't, I quite honestly have no idea how they're famous or why people hire them. Like I'm surprised <laughs> and they didn't even, they didn't even go to Columbia law school. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thankfully we don't have that problem uh, with, with our attorney, but uh, yeah, yeah. No, you, yeah. you know where he lives. You can show up and be like, uh, yeah. Send this email right now. Yeah. I'm at your so, front door. <laughs> yeah, I'm at your front door. Um, so I guess back to your earlier question about what I would tell new people, I would probably tell them to um, find an experienced partner and a mentor and learn from them. Mm -hmm. I think that's actually the shortcut. Yeah, or that or and or JV with just a whole nother team. Yeah, I think that's the real shortcut. And that's something that I didn't seek out until later into my career because you know just in general I, I've just been used to be able to figuring things out right like um 
you know, I'm not one of those people that jokes around and says, you know, when I walk into the room, I want everybody to be smarter than me. That that's just honestly not realistic for me at all. <laughs> um, and I and I find that and I find that to be very insulting for the person that says that. I don't I don't I don't really love that self-deprecation humor. I mean, I I get it, um, but I I should have sought out mentors earlier in my investing mm-hmm. career. I think I could have shortcutted the process a lot more, cut out some of the mistakes that I did make, and probably yeah. get on the right like more focused path quicker. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Kind of would. Um, I talked to a lot of people and, and their answer to that is um, obviously mentorships, but uh, the courses, the guru courses and. Yeah. I don't really mean that. I, I mean more about like finding some partners and, and real mentors that are really oh, okay. their time. Yeah. I don't mean pay for mentors. I, I don't like paying for stuff. Okay. So I got a question for you because we're in crazy times now. Have you seen or what have you seen in the market as far as maybe deal flow, how investors are reacting, um, how the deals are coming to you versus, you know, how they look, are the caps rate, cap rate look a lot different now than they did before? What are you seeing in the market with this shift? The, the more poignant thing for me that I've seen is these gap loans. So I've done three of these uh, and I've looked at another dozen, maybe even I've looked at maybe another 20, to be honest with you. And for some reason, whatever reason, you know, either I like them, but they didn't need me or they said, Ethan, you're too expensive of a new friend. We can find a slightly less expensive new friend than you, you know, we'll call you later. Or I just didn't like their deal or they didn't have enough experience or whatever. But uh, I can tell you two of the sponsors that I did these gap loans for, one straight up told me, they said four months before I did their deal where I had to lend them, you know, a good amount of money for them to close the deal. They said they were able to send out an email on Friday night saying, hey, we're having a webinar on Saturday. Here are our documents, uh, everybody subscribe. And then they would send out an email Monday morning saying we're, you know, 20% oversubscribed. So they were actually confused and surprised, maybe not confused, they were relatively surprised that they had trouble raising money. And here I was, I, you know, Uncle Uncle Ethan uh, was here to lend them the money to close the deal. They pay me back within 20 days. Mm. I, I find that, that to me is a huge success. They're my favorite borrower team. I would lend them money all day long. They communicated extremely well. They had a good sense of urgency. They mm. did what they were supposed to do. Uh, they did it really right. well. And then another team, like I said, you know, the team with the doctor on it, they were also extremely experienced. Um, and they didn't really specifically tell me what happened with their deal. It was more like a timing issue with the seller had a mm. 1031, but they okay. also had trouble raising the last, you know, whatever amount of money. So that's what I'm noticing. I'm noticing that raising money is more difficult. And I think it's because markets are in general down and volatile. So I think a lot of people, what they do is when they go to invest in a, in a syndication or a private deal, they go pull, they go sell some stocks and yeah. then they pull that money and they put it in. But now if they're selling stocks at a 19 to 32% loss, uh, they don't want to do that. So yeah. then they just become less interested because they're like, well, if I sell that, then I'm locking in my negative 19 or negative 32. I don't want to, I'd rather just hold it. And then yeah. they don't, they don't want to talk about margin loans. They don't want to borrow. So they just say, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to sign up for that webinar on Saturday and I'm not going to invest in the deal. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately that makes sense. I've been, I've been hearing that as well. We have some friends that um, were raising 20 million literally, like you said, in the weekend, they'd send it out Friday and Monday and they're, they're oversubscribed. It might be the same people. And now uh, the last couple of deals, you know, they, they've made it to the finish line, but it was a little, it was a lot more stressful than it's been. So and those are the people I want to know. I mean, those are the people that I want to come in and I want to lend them a good amount of the money so they don't have to worry about the weekend. They don't have to worry about losing their, you know, earnest money or the acquisition fee or returning millions of dollars they've already raised, right? Mm-hmm. I want to come in, be their one-stop shop solution. And then, like I said, I just want to be a very expensive new best friend that they got. Yeah. Well, you know what, Ethan? Come to our event this Thursday and you can- <laughs> You got to meet them? Okay. 
You coming? I probably. I don't know if I can. I usually don't love coming out uh, at night. Well, can you just bring your car? Just bring my car. Yeah, you don't have to <laughs> br- come. Br- 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 bring my bring my five kids. <laughs> um, actually, I had a friend brought. Uh, she brought three of them. Like nice. she only has three. I think she brought her, her three kids. They were the only three kids there. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, you have a great event. I went with my friend Angel a couple months ago, which is when I met you in person. That was a great event, great location. I don't know anything about cars. I remember I just pointed to Angel and I just said, "That looks like an old car." <laughs> I was like, "That might be worth. That might be worth. That might be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars." But to me, it just looks like an old car. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it's a lot of those in there. Yeah, yeah. we have a, we're we're expecting a pretty good mix. Um, what's weird about events is they don't register until like the day of or day before. So you're sweating bullets until the day of and you're like, it's either going to be a good event or not. So right. that's why all the events, even the one you came to, I always have ice cream. And I'm like, if nobody shows up, I'm going to eat really good. And <laughs> I've already paid for the venue. So I'm yep. like, it's, it's going to be what it's going to be. Yeah, no, that's awesome. No, it's, so, a, it's yeah. a great event. I encourage everybody to, to go and check it out. Cool. Yeah, I I appreciate it. Um, let's see. Let's Any other questions you got or anything I can so, talk about where I could add value uh-oh. to anything? Oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Melvin, am I in trouble? So I'm gonna uh, unmute everyone. Um, does anyone that has logged on, um, you know, I never remember to check Facebook. Um, but does anyone in the audience have any questions for Ethan? Melvin, if I'm in trouble, get, get at me later. <laughs> I, I missed it. So uh, Okay, good, it. good, good. <laughs> missed it. Um, the only question that I have is, I don't know your financial standing when you first started, but to where you are now, could you have ever imagined yourself being um, to where you are at this level in your life? No, when I was a kid. So um, specifically, uh, when I went to law school, uh, so I took trust in estates uh, as a class in my last semester of law school in 2006. And the estate tax exemption limit back then was very small compared to now. Now it's like, I think it's like 11.84 million. So each person um, can die with that amount of money and the government doesn't tax uh, any of that as an estate tax. And it was much smaller uh, back in 2006. And I remember I came home and I told my wife, I literally told her, I said, uh, we'll never get to this estate tax exemption. Like, why am I even in this class? And then I <laughs> did not do well in that class. I didn't pay attention. So no, the answer is no. I grew up super poor and I grew up in an immigrant family. I never thought that, well, I never thought I had five kids, number one, but I also never thought that I would, um, you know, work at the jobs that I did or and end up in the position that I am in. That's good. Good for you. I'm happy for you. Thank you very much. All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not in trouble. Um, thank you so much, Ethan. Um, if you need an excuse to get out the house Thursday, you know where to come. Yeah. Um, we do have, oddly enough, a couple people that comes in. They, they'll bring their car early. I think they bring their car early, leave in another car so they don't drive the car through traffic. But uh-huh. anyway, you know, you know where it's at. You know what time yep. it is. If you don't, just just reach back out to me. But I really appreciate you, man. And it was um, probably had more fun than I should have had. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I will definitely call on you again. And yeah, well, let's do some deals together. And um, I'll see you soon. All right. Thanks. Have All a right, good thanks, one. Ethan. See you later. Bye bye.